the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast. I'm Cliff Taylor, standing in this week for Kieran Hancock. Later, we'll be discussing the outlook for the budget. First, we will look at the big issue of the winter, energy. What is the outlook for prices and supply? I'm joined to discuss this by Jared Brady, Head of National Policy and Chief Economist at IBEC, and the Irish Times' Barry O'Halloran. There's no doubt that energy is going to be the story of this winter. Two big issues. One is the price of energy, with gas prices in particular shooting up and knocking on to electricity. And the other is the availability of electricity and energy to consumers in Ireland and also to businesses. A big economic issue heading into heading into this winter. Barry O'Halloran, you were at the Oireachtas Committee hearing yesterday where there was a lot of coming and going between the energy regulator and airgrid. And the issue at hand was why is Ireland so short of capacity to produce energy over this winter? Can you give us a flavour of the issue and what came up at the meeting? Okay, well, fundamentally, we do not have enough energy because we were unable to build enough gas-fired generation on time for this winter. Now, this is where the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities, which is the industry overseer, and Airgrid, which operates the national grid, appear to differ. And those, those differences became very clear uh, at yesterday's hearing. Mark Foley, who's chief executive of Airgrid, said, listen, the problem isn't really demand. Electricity demand in this country has grown 9% over the last five years, which actually isn't a whole pile when you look at the, the rate of, at which our economy expanded over that period. However, the CRU said actually demand is part of the challenge. This was uh, Aoife Machiavelli, the, the chairwoman of the commission, and she argued that data centre growth in particular is posing a big chunk of that challenge or is, or is responsible for a large part of it, if you like. So fundamentally, the, the two appear to disagree on what the problem is, but they're not at odds over the solution. The solution is we need more power plants. Unfortunately, we are not going to have them on time for this winter. Is there any, was there any insight into why those power plants haven't come on stream already? This has been in planning for a couple of years now. There was talk of bringing emergency generation on stream so we'd avoid this kind of situation. Obviously, it's been made worse by, uh, by the situation in Ukraine and, and the increasing cost of energy. But this has been on the radar for a few years now, but yet nothing seems to have happened. It's been on the radar since 2017, 2018. And we drilled into this a fair bit late last year and, and, and early this year. The ESB won contracts for about 428 megawatt hours of emergency generation in Dublin, but was unable to source equipment or the, the right equipment on the one hand and ran into planning and permitting difficulties on the other. So that 428 megs or whatever it was, that never materialised. It should be operating over there in Cardiff and Ringsend and Northwall right now as we speak, but it's not there. Those power plants are still in train. The ESB is still going through the various processes and they should be ready at some point, possibly late next year or on time for next winter or during next winter. But we don't have them right now. So that that's the core of it. Now, there has been allegations or suggestions that when the ESB bid to build those power plants, it, it bid very low. And that deterred competitors, leaving the ESB really as the only runner in the race. 
and therefore we had no choice as to who was going to build these things in the first place. Now, the ESB has actually come back and refuted all of that and refuted all of that in quite a lot of detail uh, last January. And fundamentally, it maintains that the difficulty was A, the equipment, and B, the planning. But either way, there's no way the plants would be ready for this winter. Yeah, whatever the explanation is, they're not there. We don't have the electricity from them. Ger Brady of IBEC, how concerned is business about this tight energy situation and the risk of uh, supply shortages going into this winter? Yeah, I I think Cliff... As as Barry said, this prospect has been raised for a number of years now. So it's been foreseen. It was something we knew was coming. And obviously, the the solution hasn't arrived on time. Look, look, this winter, there are concerns amongst large energy users, and, and that's who would be asked to, you know, turn down their usage effectively if if, if the grid came under a lot of pressure. Um, so, so this isn't really a household issue. It's it's mostly a large a large business issue. And then on the other hand, if we go forward another number of years and we continue to see these kind of problems, we're going to end up with with more challenges. Um, so so we're, we're as worried or more worried actually about the coming winters if we don't provide a solution to this problem. And, and one, of the, one of the issues here is that we are going to need modern and, and new gas fire generation as we kind of still transition in low carbon. The, the infrastructure we already have is, is years old, two decades old in some cases, and needs to be replaced. So we have a lot of challenges coming down the line. So there are concerns, probably the bigger concern from this part of the multifaceted energy crisis is for businesses that they're going to be asked to pay up front to, to finance a lot of the temporary generation. Uh, and it's going to add significant costs for a lot of businesses, particularly large energy users, at a time when their electricity bills are already through the roof because of the, the global and, and European environment. And what can be done about that, Chair? Nothing this Christmas in the in the short term can be done about the challenges on the supply of electricity side. But on the price side, I think the big challenges we face in the short term, probably we see already the government starting to move and, and have got clearance from the European Commission now for a temporary state aid package for businesses that are really badly affected in terms of, of the pressures on them from an energy perspective. That is yet to be announced, but it has been cleared by the by the European Commission. So that's the emergency piece. Uh, and then ultimately over the coming years, there's going to need to be a big ramp up of the kind of supports uh, that are in place for decarbonisation, energy efficiency at both household and, and and business levels. So we launched our budget submission this week. There are lots of things that could be done uh, in VAT rules, in the SEAI schemes that are available in microgeneration that could help. Um, but ultimately, it means big cost uh, for, for everyone uh, in the system to try and get these things done quicker. Barry, Jerry referred there to the possibility of large industrial users having to cut back on their usage at times during the winter. Just fill us in on the Commission's proposals that they've put out now for consultation on how they might deal with shortages over the winter and who might be cut back to protect households and more vulnerable users and how that might work. Okay, there there are essentially three strands to this. One is this uh, 100 million peak time network charge. That uh, 70 million of that will be borne by large energy users, the people to whom Jar was re- referring. And in fact, that will be used to pay for future emergency generation. So basically, you pay more when you're using a 
peak times, early evening or whatever. Yeah, at f- 5 to 7 p.m. So that is the first strand. The second strand then is a, a deal or a series of deals that Airgrid has between groups of large energy users. These are called demand side units in industry jargon, and that's a hell of an industry when it comes to jargon. Basically, what they are is they are big companies. We'll, we'll all agree on that one, yeah. And they're, they're big companies that cut back on their use at Airgrid's request, and they get paid for that. Now, there seems to be a difficulty in getting everybody who's got those deals to operate all at once. And if you could, you'd save around 500 megawatt hours, which is enough power to supply, say, 500,000 homes. So it's a considerable amount. And there was a reference to this at the committee yesterday. And the CRU is looking at ways of possibly luring more people into that system. The final thing then is is the sort of doomsday scenario, and that's what's called, in another piece of industry jargon, load shedding. It's where you cut customers off. So at the very top of the tree, the big users are the first people who can be asked to shut down their power. Now, many of them will have backup generators, but not all of them, not all of them by any means, but certainly most of them do, and they are first in line. And the load shedding principle, if you like, our system works down through everybody. And the idea is that households are protected and emergency services, hospitals, train stations for some reasons and um, prisons for security reasons, I would guess. So they should all be protected. And it would take something fairly catastrophic if a whole lot of those people were to be cut off. Now, I don't know what level of risk there is around that. Jer- Obviously, this is going to be something that will, is going to worry big businesses if they're in the firing line as the first to be cut off, if you like, if there's trouble. And we've a lot of very big gas and electricity users, big manufacturing plants in the tech sector, food sector, the pharma sector, I presume, as well. The economic implications of those companies having to cut back on power use are possibly being even cut off the grid or the risk of that must be pretty pretty significant. It is. I think both reputationally, as, as Barry said, a lot of a lot of people will have backup generation and, and that would be the last. It would be fairly bad if, if that was to happen on a although it does happen voluntarily on a on a fairly regular basis now. The the big worry for them is is cost. I think at the moment this is probably it's a rising issue, rising concern, to put it mildly, over the over the winter period. But but look, the, the economic implications of if the worst outcome happened, if would be fairly bad reputationally. It would also mean that look, you have really big employers who have people twiddling their thumbs effectively, and and so that wouldn't wouldn't be good from an economic point of view either. But not to overstate the risk of it, there is a risk, but it's still probably the the case that we'll we'll see the cost implications in terms of of those kind of punitive tariffs first, and and the, and hopefully uh, between that and the kind of voluntary uh, scheme that is working pretty well, even though there's challenges for some to to fully use it. That, that between those two, that we'll see a solution. The issue from our point of view, I suppose, is this kind of coherence of policy and that on one side, the regulator is putting extra charges on large energy users, that on the other side, the state is trying to give state aid to some of those same large energy users because they're they're struggling because of costs. So you actually have two arms of the state doing two completely contradictory and different things at the same time, which you know doesn't make a huge amount of sense. And, and the purpose of that is, is to pay for, for this extra temporary generation why that wouldn't be paid for uh, over a longer time period, for example. Uh, I don't know if we've got the answer to that yet. 
but it's um it, it just seems contradictory and it's it's one of the things that a lot of our members are kind of looking at and saying why do two things that are almost completely contradictory at the same time we're starting to hear kind of the first of the stories of small retailers small restaurants getting in their electricity bills and 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 getting a nasty shock what kind of stories are you are you hearing from your members small businesses and bigger businesses uh, about the kind of price increases they're facing now and what what are the implications of that probably in the last six eight weeks as we've seen the market for energy in europe really deteriorate um like it like it has been been rapid you know for people who don't pay attention to it we probably thought it was quite bad after the the start of the the war in ukraine but it's actually got far worse in the last six eight weeks in terms of in terms of costs in the wholesale market where you know in a normal year you'd pay 50 pence a term for for gas in the uk and irish market that went up to 250 pence and now with last week at, at one stage it was at 800 pence a term so so it's an enormous increase and businesses face that um unless you're on a fixed contract more or less the the increase is passed directly on to you so we've had members on average who are probably facing increases in their in their gas and electricity bills because the two are linked that that might be four or five times what they would be in a in a normal year and um, so we've talked to small shops who have gone from paying 50,000 a year in energy bills they're planning next year for closer to 200,000 which for small shops is enormous we've got larger energy users who by no means are huge uh, huge energy users these are kind of fairly big sites but not the biggest in the country who are going from maybe paying 20 million a year for energy to to north of 100 million a year so we're seeing pretty significant uh, increases across the board and it's impacting not just i suppose on big manufacturing sites that people might think of but retailers who have lots of refrigeration and heating uh, cold storage uh, building materials all kinds of sectors now being dragged in restaurants and hotels as well and some of those are faced by a kind of a pincer movement in that their consumers are facing the same challenges and and demand won't be as strong so they're they're losing demand and facing increased costs at the same time there's bound to be a fallout one presumes in terms of businesses closing and businesses cutting back, supply lines being cut. Is that what we're looking at over the winter? Yeah, it's a distinct possibility, right? So, so who knows is the answer to the to the question about where costs will go? Because firstly, you know, the market is so volatile and, and, and we said it this week to government in terms of framing the budget, it's almost impossible there's almost equal risk of doing too much and doing too little at the same time because we have no idea where energy prices will go, but we know they'll be very high, so there will have to be a lot done. But I, I think there's a real risk that without support that you will see people uh, basically turn up for less. So, so you'll see some places open less. Uh, you may see some places, and, and we've already seen that post-COVID a small bit, but but that continue or, or get worse. You may see some people close because they can't afford it. And for others, you may see, particularly in manufacturing, we've talked to companies who are saying, okay, well, we have low margin lines that we'll just stop making for, for now because they don't make economic sense with energy costs as they are. So there's pretty significant economic pain, both for the household and the business side coming over the winter. And how extreme that pain is, is the kind of unknown yet. Um, and then on top of that, you've got all the global economic change that we're facing in terms of central bankers meeting in, in Wyoming uh, at Jackson Hole last week. And everyone agreeing that they were going to hike interest rates and beat up the real economy until inflation comes down. And, and they were quite clear, like saying, 
openly Jerome Powell and, and Isabel Schnabel from the ECB and Jerome Powell from the Fed both saying, regardless of what happens to inflation, we're going to keep hiking until inflation comes down. So you've got all of this happening at once. It looks it looks fairly difficult for the for the winter period. Barry, businesses already facing bills because higher costs come through to them immediately, but it looks like it might only be starting for households. We, we've seen SSE putting up prices last week, but the clear indications are there's more to come and a lot of political pressure to do something about it. Yeah, there is more to come. The, what SSE did last week was really the, kind of the, the beginning of, of the autumn round of increases. Some people think that that could push total household energy bills north of four, four and a half grand a year, depending on uh, who you are and what you're using. So, yeah, it's going to be a very cold winter. Eamon Ryan said yesterday that they are looking mostly at social welfare type proposals in the budget to ease the pain. My guess is that most households won't benefit from that. They're going to take a very big hit. Ger, would you agree? There might be some tax relief as well, I suppose, in the budget to uh, to ease the way, but but perhaps limited enough, as Barry says. I think there's a there's a fairly big chance for the for the budget that the that the government are going to spend seven billion, which is an enormous amount of money in any normal time, and no one will be happy with it. Effectively, they'll come out on the on the day of the budget, and there'll be all those vox pops, and and everyone will have take it be worse off next year than they were this year, even though the government have spent billions and billions trying to stop that, and and it shows the problem with this. It, different than COVID, where the scale of support meant that a lot of people weren't worse off and some were even better off because they they had savings during COVID. A lot of people or most people will be worse off as a result of this. And there's very little the government can do and more to, to offset it fully and more limited space because of rising interest rates for governments too, to, to do too much. And because it's inflationary, there is a danger that you spend too much and make it worse. So so it's just a really difficult environment for, for households. But there are some, it's it's not everyone, there are some, as I said, who, who did quite well through COVID, who have, you know, got pay increases, who have savings built up and will get some measures in the budget and do okay. I think that speaks to the targeting that everyone's talking about. You have to find the people within the resources you have who are worse off, both on, on the business side and on the and on the household side but expectations may be different across lots of households. Yeah, I asked the next question now with some uh, trepidation, given what Barry O'Halloran said earlier about the jargon-filled nature of the energy market. But there is talk, Ger, of the EU revising the way that electricity prices are set. Could you explain to us what that means? And does it have any kind of implications or hope that uh, might might encourage us that prices mightn't be quite as high over the uh, over the winter as, as we fear they might be. Yeah, so so in, in as little jargon as possible, Cliff, the big change or, or the way our energy market works at the moment, the electricity market is everyone bids in and the highest uh, the highest price effectively sets the price for the whole market. It's called marginal pricing. There's probably two things the EU might do. They've signaled they're going to do something big. There's two things they probably could do in very basic terms. One is what Spain and Portugal have done set a price cap on uh, the price in the of, of gas and therefore for the whole market. The challenge with that is the Portuguese and Spanish governments have had to spend billions to purchase the gas to subsidise the market. The other thing, which I think is probably more likely, is that the EU break the link between gas and electricity and, and use average prices rather than than the marginal price across the market. The challenge with that is in the kind of very simple terms again. 
they've spent two decades to build a jargon-filled and very complex market in electricity. And if the commission are going to try and undo that market that took two decades to build in two months, you can just imagine how frightening that is for everyone who is a person who interacts with that market. So so it might work, but unintended consequences abound. We have yet to see what's what the proposal is from the Commission, but uh, we are through the looking glass, certainly politically, because the regulators in Europe were saying this was a bad idea to change the market at all up until yeah. a month ago. Uh, so this is politically driven. So politicians driving complex markets is is going to be an interesting couple of months. Could, could get messy, you'd think, all right. You'd like to see some solution. But who knows, as you say, if, if there's even one there. Just to finish, Barry, you were writing or writing stories before about the large profits being made by wind operators here. Are they worried now that they might be caught by a windfall tax that the Irish government has been talking about? They should be, but I think there are a number of there are a number of issues there in that the profits that these people make are actually split between the wind farms themselves and suppliers who provide electricity direct to the wholesale market. But they would, in my mind, be the first people you would target with a windfall tax because wind is free. You don't have to buy gas to generate electricity if you're using it. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is that we asked the CRU last week about decoupling and they ruled it out. And now suddenly the EU is talking about it. Now, the CRU ruled it out partly because of EU rules. So I guess if the EU changes the rules or says we want to look at changing the rules, the CRU will have to do likewise, along with everybody else in Europe. But it remains to be seen. Yeah, a bit of a catch-22 as ever. Jared, just to finish, uh, there is all this talk about reforms and price caps and windfall taxes, but I suppose, is it fair to say that as a small country with a very limited energy production, we're caught here, whatever happens? Probably are. I I think on on windfall tax, the probably issue is from a consumer point of view, and most of our members are are the biggest consumers in the country, it doesn't Mm. lower the price of energy. um, And it probably doesn't raise a huge amount of money either. And look, there are unintended consequences for investment too. But ultimately, if the EU does what they are kind of hinting at, and they haven't produced Mm. the, the detail yet, if they do that, then it should end windfall profits in the the market that that it would change the marginal pricing mechanism and and that would that would actually end a lot of that discussion so look we we probably need to see in the next couple of weeks what the eu are going to do and and that's probably where the action is i think more so than than domestically where look you can get the political urge and there'll be a lot of noise about it but but the real action in terms of prices for consumers and lowering them is going to happen now and has shifted to brussels okay well we're promising news on that next week uh although Brussels time often stretches out uh, to the week after. But we leave it there for now. I have a feeling we'll be coming back and talking about this again over the winter. Barry O'Halloran of the Irish Times and Gerard Brady of IBEC. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay with us. I'll be talking to Fiona Redden of the Irish Times about the budget after this short break. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com.
I'm now joined by Fiona Redden of the Irish Times to discuss the budget, which, of course, is going to be earlier this year in less than one month's time. Good morning, Fiona. It's going to be an interesting one this year and uh, very different to anything we've seen, I think, in recent years. First of all, let's look at what the government might do to respond to the energy crisis and the short-term pressure on people's finances. Yeah, Cliff, um, good morning. As you said there, it's going to be a bit of a different budget this year. We've had so many damn squibs in recent years, but um, it's back with the bang this year and energy is definitely right front and centre at the moment. I suppose the challenge for the government is that prices continue to rise and we keep hearing about new you know, energy increases over the winter and how are they really going to deal with that? What we think might happen is um, earlier this year, everyone who pays electricity got 200 euro electricity credit. So that might come back towards the end of the year again. People who benefit from social welfare, like the fuel allowance, household benefits, it would seem quite certain, I imagine, that they are going to increase those as well. You're talking maybe fuel allowance by about 15 euro a week. And not only that, but they might extend the term over which it's paid so people will be able to benefit from longer. Household benefit package, that gives you about €35 a month towards either gas or electricity. And they might either increase it on a monthly basis or just give like a once-off doubling payment, double it to about €70 for a month to help people with those costs. Essentially, a lot of those are once-off measures, is that right? Well, I mean, the the fuel allowance would, would continue over this winter. And yeah, but you're right. I mean, I suppose they don't want to commit too much this year, do they, if things resolve to more nor- normal circumstances in the following year? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but I guess the, the the flip side is that if they do something temporary this year and things get worse next year, they might be under pressure to do it again. Don't um, say that. Things will get worse. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's move on to the, I, I guess, the more normal fare of the budget, although, of course, it's framed as well by the cost of living crisis income tax, the old favourite. What what should we expect this year? I mean, I guess there has been talk all along of this 30% income tax rate. Um, I think that was, I don't know if it was ever really a runner because it's only going to benefit a certain proportion of people, isn't it, that pay tax at the higher rate. And I think the focus in this year's budget is to try and give something to everybody. So having said that, I think that what we might see is more an indexation approach whereby you try and increase the band so people get to spend or get to earn more at the lower rate of tax. It takes longer for them to go into the 40% tax band. And um, the savings here, I mean, they're not massive, but they're they're significant all the same. So if they increase the standard rate band, for example, by 1,500 euro, you'd save 300 euro a year on tax or 600, you know, for a married couple both working. Or if it was 2,000, you'd save 400 a year in taxes. And along with that, we'll probably see some increases, like a similar indexation approach to the personal tax credits. They went up 50 euro last year, up to 1,700 per single person. So again, maybe even 100 you could be talking about this year. The USC, as I said, they'll try and focus on helping workers at lower income levels as well. So a way of doing that would be to um, index the USC bands and widen those a bit as well so allow people to earn more before they go into a higher usc band or even take more people out of that usc band altogether so that's the way to help the the squeeze middle if you like i suppose in the budget 
Yeah, and I mean, there's a couple of other smaller items as well. Um, the small gift exemption or small benefit rather exemption it allows employers to give employees up to five hundred euro a year tax free. You know, in a gift card, there's talk that might increase to a thousand euro. I mean, that would save people, you know, if, if they were to get a thousand euro, they would save 40 percent of tax on the 500. So that's actually quite a, a significant saving to people, um, as well as, you know, the, the bigger changes, I suppose, to tax bans, etc. Now, on the tax bans, there was talk of formalizing the indexation approach, which would mean it would rise every year in line with inflation. But given how rampant inflation is at the moment, I don't think that's probably likely. I'd say it'd be more an ad hoc. Um, approach that they'll increase it this year and see see what it's like for next year. Yeah, something the Department of Finance always fight against. I seem to remember because uh, they like to like to keep control. Let's move on to uh, to welfare then, uh, including pensions, child benefit, and 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 uh, the main kind of welfare payments. What should we expect there? Obviously, there's a lot of people there as well suffering at the cost of living and from higher energy prices, looking for a dig out. Been talk of as much as fifteen euro a week to social welfare payments such as, you know, the state pension. And that's quite significant, isn't it? Because that would add 780 a year to your state pension, which is um, it's a big increase. But then people would say cost of living, etc. You know, would it even be that meaningful to them? Child benefit, there's talk, you know, of offering like, like a Christmas bonus, I suppose, for the child benefit, but you might get it sooner than the end of the year. So that would increase. Um, it's 140 per child, so you get 280 per child on a once-off basis. So kind of like a Christmas bonus idea. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Christmas bonus. But then this morning, was it the Fiscal Council were recommending a more targeted approach to the budget? And I mean, child benefit always comes into that one that, you know, whether it should be taxed or not, because everybody, regardless of their income, gets the full amount. So if, if they were to bring a more targeted approach they mightn't they might move away you know from um doubling the child benefit because of course it's it's everyone benefits regardless of their income they're the main things i suppose yeah okay a lot of pressure i think there and possibly a bit of a as you said there the fiscal council were talking about targeting measures the government probably wants to go as wide as possible politically so there could be a bit of toing and froing before budget day on how that on how that's going to play out yeah, I mean, it has to be a budget that gives something to everybody, doesn't it? I suppose it's, it's yeah. how much <laughs> and, you know, to everyone is, is the question. It's it's more meaningful to a certain cohort of the population than, than another. Uh, and the perennial question of housing features in every budget. There's been a lot of fuss recently about renters and the position of renters and also landlords to an extent and the troubles in that market and then the wider issues but people trying to buy houses. What can we expect? Anything on the housing front? I think we'll definitely see something on the housing front. And as you mentioned, this year, it's probably going to be, you know, from both renters and landlords. Um, first on the landlords, there's been a lot of complaints. There's been, you can see the figures, smaller landlords saying it's just, it just doesn't stack up financially to stay in the business. Tax burden is too high. It's unfair. So we are likely to see some changes there. Maybe, you know, make property tax tax deductible because it isn't at the moment, um, allow landlords to offset their losses against properties. But whether the, any of those changes will be meaningful, it's possibly unlikely. There was talk as well of, of, you know, just reducing the tax burden. So, I mean, you pay tax on rental income at the marginal rate, which could be 
as much as 55% I suppose for self-employed person to cut that but that's seen as been a bit unfair and a bit difficult to work out as well so while there will be changes I'm not sure that they will be meaningful enough to stem the tide of landlords leaving and then on the other side you have a rent credit there's talk of reintroducing this now this was back in up pre-room times I suppose it was very common I think it worked out you get about 340 euro is what you'd save on your rent every year which was probably significant then but it's with rents I mean 1500 a month seems for one bedroom seems standard now it really isn't that significant so to make it meaningful for people the government will have to increase that credit considerably which of course costs a lot of money and again will be a decision but I would imagine they will do something anyway even to be seen to be doing something to helping renters. Just to finish, Fiona, you've gone through a lot of measures there and there's going to be an awful lot of money spent in this budget, we're told, $6.7 billion, And then there'll be more spent on once-off measures for this year, maybe another $2 billion, who knows. But is there still a risk that politically this is, may not land too well because people are still going to be worse off next year than they were this year, probably? Well, that's the point, isn't it? But then how much is the government going to spend to stop that? I mean, the other point is if you increase state pension by 15 euro a week, are you adding to inflationary pressures that are out there as well? And as you say, you know, pushing that into next year is going to make things even if the cost of living continues to increase, it's even more difficult to close the gap. But I mean, politically, you have to be seen to do something at the same time, don't you? Yeah. And it sounds like there will be a decent few bob there for people, even if it may not compensate for the price increases on the other side. No, no, but it'll be more meaningful for sure than than in previous years. OK, thanks, Fiona. That's all we have time for this week. Today's podcast was produced by Declan Conlon with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, goodbye and thank you very much for listening. You're listening to The Irish Times 